Hey everybody, welcome back to Crafted on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, we are very happy to have on the show one of our favorite artists and one of our favorite people. John Fellows has lived in various parts of Colorado, but now calls Crested Butte his home, lucky for us, and it has been a pleasure getting to know the person behind one of the most distinctive styles, I think we can say, in the outdoor industry. And this then would be a great opportunity for you to go start looking at John's work while I finish this introduction and we get started into our conversation. And I'm pretty confident that you are going to recognize this style that John himself calls contemporary folk. So to check out that style, you can go to johnfellows.bigcartel.com. And we will, of course, include a link to John's website in the show notes of this episode. And one of the things that I was really interested in diving into with John is how he separates or doesn't separate his own artwork from the work that he does with numerous brands, largely in the outdoor space. So I asked him about those partnerships and whether he has a kind of philosophy about why to say yes to certain jobs and why to say no. We also talk about John's nearly lifelong practice of what he calls selective employment. And we also dive into the question of style and perhaps more specifically, the question of when to maintain a consistency of style and when, in John's work, it makes sense to depart from a trademark style. So whether you are here because you are one of the many big fans of John's work, or maybe you yourself are an upcoming artist and you want to learn more about the business of art, well, I am certain that you are going to enjoy this conversation. And John and I talk in this conversation about our new Blister Artist series. So you might want to stick around to the end where we will talk a bit more about this new Blister Artist series that we are kicking off with John. So lots going on in this conversation. And let's just go ahead now and get right to it. Here we go. Well, I am very happy to be here in Blister Headquarters at Elevation Hotel in Crested Butte, Colorado with (laughs) one of our favorite artists, John Fellows, who, you know, it's just always a good day when I get to hang out with John. And uh, so, John, welcome. It's great to have you back in HQ. Uh, Thank you, Jonathan. And I'm very happy to have you as our sort of first artist. We have a lot of artisans coming in here on crafted but on the what we normally call just the artist side you are the first representative and i could not be happier about this so i appreciate you being willing to sit down here and you know do what we do except on record this time (laughs) thank you a couple things um i've known john for a while we were very proud to have john design our logo for our blister summit it's still 
is, John, my favorite rendering of the Butte that I've ever seen. And, you know, we see a lot of different variations of the Butte around here. A lot. A lot. (laughs) That is definitely my personal favorite. So thank you for that. But most of all, I'm just excited for this conversation and we get to kind of dive down some rabbit holes. And I have a hunch I'm going to actually learn some things about you that I don't myself know yet. So, yeah, should be good. Hopefully (laughs) I don't babble too much or have just really stupid things to say. I think I think we're I think we're going to be all right. Um, it's famous last words right there. <laughs> yeah, famous last words. Let me ask you: How do you introduce yourself to people these days? Or if you meet someone on an airplane and they're like, "What do you do?" How do you actually describe what you do? I guess the easiest way I describe it is it's kind of like a three part answer. It's like graphic designer, illustrator, artist. So it's because I do 50% of my work is graphic design illustration and 50% is personal artwork. So it kind of just all comes together. So it's kind of hard just having kind of like one title for what I do. So it's just kind of covers the spectrum of graphic design, the computer side, illustration, computer, and work done by hand side. And then artwork is just all done by hand. Yeah. Which came first for you as an interest sort of, art and drawing or were you more interested in the graphic design element of things for me it was the art side just being a kid just growing up always drawing reading comic books loved like japanese anime and all that and so i always loved that and then went through high school and when it came time to look into colleges my parents were like there's no way you're going to art school <laughs> So they're like, there's this thing called graph design that you can kind of do art, but it's not really art, but it's an actual career. Um, so they kind of pushed in that direction. And um, yes, yeah, so I went to college for graph design and my school is very much like, there is no illustration. There is no art. It's just do graph design, get a job. Huh? Yeah. This, they were not cultivating the artistic sensibilities no. of their students. No. Their main thing was... Uh, Basically, what everybody graduating, getting a job so they can then tell the prospective freshman yeah. parents what percentage of their graduates all got full-time jobs after graduating. Gotcha. And so I kind of threw that curve off when I decided not to get a job after college. <laughs> <laughs> well, t- wait a minute. Talk about that. You you were thinking the, the working world is not for me just yet? Yeah. I, w- I went to a school um, in Philadelphia called Drexel University. And basically, it has a big co-op program. So you have to declare your major like before your fresh, as you go into your freshman year. And then starting your sophomore year, you work full-time for three to six months on and off until you graduate in your major. But you're getting paid like real-world salaries and stuff like that. And so by the time I graduated, um, I was like, this is not for me. I was like, I had no problem working. Like, that was great. But... It was just like I had a sociology teacher from Portugal and he kind of just helped open my eyes to certain things about the whole idea of like maybe a 10 day, you know, 10 days a year, you know, vacation. It's like, that sucks. He was like, Europe gets like three weeks, mm-hmm. you know? And then when I graduated, I was like, oh, I have this experience from these jobs. I don't want to travel. I don't want a full-time job. That sounds like it's horrible, you know? And so I just worked as much as I could to afford plane tickets and then I'd fly around places, stay for a while, whether it's like bumping lifts and like steamboat, mm-hmm. did that for a year, 
tried to live in Boulder for a little bit right after college. Didn't like that. Went home, went back to Philly, spent my summers in Europe and Switzerland, mostly like working at a hostel and then like one ski bum winter over there, but always coming back to Philly because there were certain jobs that could come back to you for three months stints and then leave for three months and they didn't care. And then that just kind of snowballed for a long time. <laughs> I like this. So early <laughs> my on, my parents did not like that. I'll I say that <laughs> I, I, I can see that how that might be a thing, but this basically you just said identified early on. Like I want to have time. Was it more about free time or was it specifically about the ability to travel? I think it was the ability to travel. I grew up in a military family and we moved every two to three years growing up. And I think that just instilled in me this sense that I always had to move. Like after my sophomore year of college, I felt like I had to transfer just because my body was kind of telling me <laughs> like I had to go somewhere new. And then, um, so that kind of just was ingrained in me, right? It was hard to stay in one place for a while. That's why I was like, it'd be three months work, leave for like a month or three months or something, come back, work more, leave again. Cause it just felt kind of natural. And the idea of being tied down where it's just like every day becomes the exact same. And while it's great for some people and they love it, I just, it wasn't for me. Yeah. And just to clarify at this time, this bug to travel, to be in new places, to, to have new experiences, this is not tied into your interest in art per se. This is just more of a life thing. Yeah. Um, it was definitely just more of a life thing. Um, art wasn't even anything like after college, I was doing graphic design jobs. I worked at like the Franklin Institute Science Museum in Philly. That was a go-to job that I could always come back to because they were great. Um, and they trusted what I did. So they know I could leave, come back, jump right back into it, make some great work for three months, leave again. They didn't have to pay my health insurance or, you know, anything like that. So jobs like that. And then I used to work for um, the coffee company La Cologne when they were first starting up for a couple of years. So I did a lot of work for them, graph design and I was friends with the owner and huh. same thing. I could, I would leave. And if I came back and they had something they needed done, I could just do it while I was there. I, I didn't know that about you. Yeah. It was just a long time ago. Went back when they had one cafe huh. on Rittenhouse square. That's amazing. Yeah. Can I tell you my most recent La Cologne experience? <laughs> uh, I talked about this on, a, I think, a Gear 30 podcast. We do a thing where I do like a what we're celebrating segment every week. And I celebrated Shout, like the stain remover, <laughs> because I, I was in Salt Lake for meetings. And I was, I like woke up, had to get coffee. Like I had like two minutes to get coffee. Where I was staying, there was a grocery store next door. I got a La Cologne. Ran to the home. car, was shaking it as I ran to the car and started driving to not be late to this meeting and then looked and it said on it, do not shake. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, I was like, I either roll the dice here and get caffeine or go no caffeine into this meeting. So I opened the can and it exploded like a grenade. <laughs> yeah. And uh, anyway, so um, no, no fault. I should, you know, I take ownership, you yeah. know, read the label first, but um, that's, but I mean, man, that's a company that uh, sure has grown. Yeah. Well, it's definitely, definitely has grown a lot. I mean, it was really cool because back in the day, same thing being selectively employed, <laughs> selectively employed. I like that. Like my days were basically I'd wake up, ride my bike to Lockloom, sit, at their cafe bar for like two and a half hours, drink coffee, read the paper, talk to people, 
then eventually go off, do some work somewhere, go to like bookstores, read design books, stuff, go then back to La Cologne that afternoon, have another coffee to end the day, talk to some people, and then either go to like rugby practice, go on a big bike ride, or like to a bar, go home, and do it all again the next day. Huh. I mean, this sounds pretty nice to me. I don't, is that your punchline or are you more? Oh, no, it was pretty awesome. Okay. I was going to say. I mean, I was... early 20s into mid 20s. It's like, <laughs> that was my life. That's pretty great. That's pretty great. It's funny. Like, it's interesting to think about La Cologne. Like, I think of them these days as having quite a um, defined aesthetic. I would love to see what you were doing for them. Is it? Is oh, it... No, you wouldn't. No, I did it. Okay. First of all, it's probably pretty bad. Looking back, um, <laughs> do you still have? Just, do you it, still have? Like, if I, I think I have some you... of the old coffee bags I okay. designed and like little espresso sets. Um, but it's very much just like continuing their existing look over stuff. I didn't have any kind of style back then. Okay, um, I was definitely in the point of like trying to mimic what the current cool graphic design illustration style was, yeah. but like it being really bad. It just looked like some guy that was really trying hard and not doing well enough to mimic that style. But for their work, it was just carrying over their pre-existing aesthetic. Gotcha. Which was fun. It was fun working with them. So let's talk about style. How do you think about style or if someone were to ask you, so like what's your style? On the graphic design side of things, it's kind of hard. Um, For a while, my work was really clean and very like, I don't want to say Swiss because there's like a Swiss style of graphic design. It's, but it was very clean and didn't look like anything on the art side. Mm-hmm. Um, so you wouldn't know like the same person was doing either of those. And it's still kind of that way for a lot of the jobs I do. But then the art side of things, uh, another artist called it contemporary folk. Huh. <laughs> so it's kind of folky looking, but with a contemporary spin on things. And I just thought it was actually really fitting just because like the big bold lines of my work basically comes from like my graphic design sensibilities. Like, I don't know how to blend color. <laughs> I don't know how to do anything like that. But, like a lot of illustrators and painters and stuff can. And that's why I like my work is like very bold lines. And if there's color, it's just a solid field of color. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I know. I, John just pointed over at our door here in Blister HQ, which I'm very proud of. Um, anytime you see a photograph like up on our social channel where we did like an in-person conversation in blister headquarters. If you look to your left on the door, you will see one of my favorite John fellows pieces. Yeah. The, uh, it's homage to crested butte. It's a nice homage. The buried stop sign skier on a bike skis on the shoulder. Yeah. it's, It's a good look. So anyway, yeah, we, uh, yeah, we like having our fellows stuff on display here. Um, contemporary folk. I think that's actually, that's quite good. I think it's, yeah, I think I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Talk about the evolution of, let's just say your style, not some theory of evolution of style in general, but you know, how did that, how did you get to a contemporary folk style given what you said is you were a graphic designer who mostly was playing in a very clean, um, not very, um, individualistic aesthetic. Maybe I think Mm -hmm. we could say, how did you get to that contemporary folk? I think one of the ways I got there is like, if we go back to like high school and like when I was doing art, basically if you, 
if you see me hold a pencil or a pen, it looks like I'm choking the life out of it. I'm like, I'm like really close to like the end of it and just holding it really tight. My fingers are bent. And, and if I was drawing any, you know, doing a still life drawing, if it didn't look exactly like what I was drawing, I'd get angry. And, mm-hmm. and it got to the point where I wouldn't turn projects in. So I was getting C's in art classes in high school. Mm-hmm. So I think that also led to my parents saying, you can't go to school for art. <laughs> so like if you're getting C's in high school, what are you going to get in college? But then into college, one of my teachers kind of saw that and suggested during a, I did some screen printing classes and then I was doing independent study in printmaking. And she suggested I'd give linoleum carving a try again. Cause she's like, that'll free you, try to free you up of like, that control freak nature of the pen and pencil mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And then the more I did it, the more I found it really like helped me break free of the perfection side of things. Cause no matter what the initial sketch that I was working from looked like the final image was going to just look different. And then the more I did that, the freer I was able to become and not just concentrate on like, this has to look exactly like what I'm looking at. Or, you know, even if it was from my imagination, it was like, I still wanted it to be like realism, like look perfect. And eventually the more I did printmaking, the more and easier I was able to like break free of that. Mm-hmm. And then I just, and then it was just something that just clicked and I just really enjoyed doing since my school was very heavily computer-based. And so it's a way for me to just take breaks from the computer, but yeah. also do something artistic. And then as I started traveling, spending my summers in, Europe, I would take blocks with me and then carve while I was there and make postcards to send home to family and friends and then give out to other people I met traveling. And it was always something I just did for myself. And then the more you do any, just like anything, the more you do anything, especially in the like art graph design world, it's like you eventually come into your style and it kind of just <clears throat> developed over like 10 years, you know, and then finally I still remember the one piece I created that it just kind of clicked. It's like, Oh my God, this is it. You know, like, mm. like this is what like, just felt right and it just felt like i was onto something that worked for me what was the piece um it's gonna surprise people but it was um mountains <laughs> it, it was for you don't a, say it was for a group show in denver and uh i always had trouble like doing for a lot of ways people in printmaking add color it's like you carve multiple blocks for the different colors you're just registering them perfect printing each one and I always had a hard time doing that. So that for this one piece, I thought it's like, well, maybe if I take this block, print it onto different paper and then cut it all out and re-glue it back together collage style, hmm. like it'll have some color and it might be easier for me or something. And then kind of like once I did it, it just kind of clicked and I was like, oh, like I really like the look of this. Um, and then it's just the more I did it, the more I, it just kind of developed more and more and I got a better understanding of it and the more, more I was able to, kind of make it mine like with the tones of color and the different paper and yeah so now we're kind of fast forwarding to the present i often wonder this you know i think this is a really interesting conversation with you because you have the graphic design side and then the art side so maybe this doesn't maybe this either complicates or simplifies the answer here but I'm always interested in the question with artists of like keeping and maintaining a consistency of style versus continuing to evolve that style. Or maybe I'll just leave it at that. Like, how do you think about that today? I think it's 
like I know the answer. <laughs> like I'm, it's um. He doesn't look like he knows the answer. Yeah. Well, no. It's, for me, it's kind of hard because it is the way I do it in printmaking is a very like rigid black and white graphic medium that having a style like because I can't. I'm, I'm not a very good painter. I'm not very good at drawing and stuff. Well, I am, but it just takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, that I feel like in mediums like that, it's easier to explore different looks and styles and and maybe the same for printmaking too, but like, I haven't been able to do that yet. Like I've found this style and it's just, I really like it. Mm-hmm. Like after a while there's what happens instead of finding a different style or different directions, like more detail comes into pieces, more complexity comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard for me to kind of like break off and all of a sudden just have like a different look to my work with printmaking. And um, I think it is just cause in my head, it's just like, I'm very black and white thinking. It's very, hard lined. And so to kind of break away from that, it's kind of hard for me to think about. I mean, it'd be great if I did at least try, you know, which, but then also it's like these days, I feel like I don't have time. Uh (laughs) It's like between personal life, work, everything else. It's, there's really not that much time just to like be like, Oh, I'm going to spend the next like two weeks just trying to explore different directions when you still have to pay rent or mortgage and everything else, Mm -hmm. you know? Well, it's interesting too, right? I mean, I think, I mean, many very smart people have talked about how parameters and restrictions actually create the condition for creativity. Like if you're just literally on a blank slate all the time that there's nowhere to gain maybe some traction. Mm -hmm. So I think it's interesting and I hear you, I think it's really it's cool actually to hear an artist say like, Hey, there's a lot of real world, like life constraints. And so that's why I'm not out here experimenting with watercolor painting right now or something. And yet I get the sense that within those confines of printmaking, you are still learning and seeing new things and exploring things within that medium. Yeah. I I think that's a good way to say it. So I feel like I'm still learning a lot in what I'm doing that I feel like I can do things better in what I'm doing that I don't feel like I need to really explore break away from that style just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that, that that'll come in the future. You're sure. Wait a sec. Let's okay. hang on that. Are you really sure? Okay. Maybe that will come in the future. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, um, you know, it's like the more free time, like as my kids get older, I will have more free time to be able to do stuff like that. Um, but right now it's like, I'm pretty happy where my style presently is and how it's progressing right now. So I feel like I don't need to push it that hard just yet, but I think that's also the graphic designer commercial side of things. Um, where in my head, it's that, what is it? The, um, the imposter syndrome where it's like, Oh, a true artist is constantly doing whatever they want and whatever medium they want because they don't care about what people think they're doing it for themselves, you know, which I have a hard time buying because it's like everybody has bills to pay. So it's like, you can't constantly. Okay. Let me, let me push you on that. Give me an example. I want you to name names, <laughs> even one artist who you think accurately is described by that 
only doing art for him or herself, mm. right? I mean, I, I think I, the reason I want to ask is because I'm like, has that actually ever been true? I feel like for some artists, it is. I think most, you still have to kind of think about what people are thinking or what you still have to think about whether people are going to like it or not. It's like back in the day or, you know, you can get to a certain point in your career where you have money and then you don't have to care what anybody's thinking, I think is one thing. Um, and then you do have the romanticism of the struggling arts and stuff because they're just doing it for themselves still not caring about what other people are thinking, but then also to be a true, like a successful artist, you it's still a business and you still have to create things that yes, you like them, but you have to hope other people like them too. So you can sell them to make money, to keep doing what you're doing mm -hmm. to eventually give up that second, third job to be able to do art full time. Yeah. So let's talk about the business of art. I'm not very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good lead in. Um, well, let me ask this. I mean, you've already spoken about your entrance kind of into the graphic design world and your, you know, cush job at La Colombe. So cush. So cush. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag art life. Hashtag so cush. For all the free coffee I could drink. <laughs> I mean, I would take that job, to be honest, that they would probably have me if I was good at art. <laughs> How did you start getting work specifically on the art side of things? I think it was, I was actually, I was living in Summit County and I was running a small sign shop for Keystone Breckenridge. So we were like designing and building trail signage. But then also with my past graphic design background, I was able to make it into like a small, like small design studio where we like started doing t-shirt designs, sticker designs, um, some event graphics, stuff like that, like graphics for bus wraps. And, and I think that's what kind of rejuvenated my love for like graphic design and stuff. But then it was just something I just kept doing, moved to Denver, kept picking up small jobs here and there, and then continued that Keystone relationship for a long time with their marketing department. But then the main thing, it was just, I became friends with people that owned like a little boutique design firm slash sneaker shop. And they let me like set up a desk in the corner of their office. And I think just after a while, they just saw, like I was showing up every day and they were probably like, was like eventually you're like who is this guy like but um i think they just saw like i was a nice person working hard and then they would throw me little jobs here and there and then i just kept that going and then eventually they went their separate ways and started working for different companies and they would remember me and started to get some more little jobs here and there and i think it was just word of mouth it was like i was good at what i did i was easy to work with delivered on time um and so more people started hiring me for like more freelance contract positions. And then I would sneak into SIA and, you know, industry trade shows and stuff, hand stuff out, mm. you know, just talk to people. And then, um, I think you just show that you're a nice person. You're going to be easy to work with and you're good at what you do. People will remember you, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, it might be five years. Mm. Um, is that true? Sometimes you you'll have people reach out to you for the first time and it's like, you met them years ago? Yeah. Like I've gotten a couple of great jobs that way. Um, actually, I, I make a little zine. I try to make it every year that covers like the 
past year or two's like job, like jobs, artwork, creative process and like travel and stuff. Um, cause I just love zines myself just coming up from the old days of like do it yourself, hardcore and punk music and everything. Um, and so it's something I always continue doing and I'd send those to people I've never met before, but I just found their mailing addresses online. And like two of those people, like one, I just always liked his work and I just lead into it being like, I'm not asking for anything. I just really respect your work and really like what you do. Here's a little book, you know, throw it on the coffee table, line the birdcage, whatever. Um, and like one of those jobs, it was like five years later, that person I'd been sending it to like mm. for the past five years, eventually got a job at Patagonia. And then there's a whole t-shirt line coming out and they're looking for new artists. And he was like, just happened to have my newest huh. book. And he's like, went to his creative director and was like, Hey, what about this guy? Um, and I'd never asked him for anything. Didn't even know he got a job with the Patagonia, I don't think at that time. Hmm. And then they contacted me. And then another guy was, um, Joseph Tony from back in the day when he was like, in his like early twenties in Jackson working for TGR. Yeah. Um, I just sent, started sending him stuff, even though I was, I'm probably, I don't know, maybe 10 years older than him. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm close to that. Um, I was just like, I like, I really like what you're doing. Yeah. You know, here's some stuff. And then he went back to school and then he eventually got a job with Armada and same thing. He was like, went to his, the creative and I was like, Hey, what about this guy for some stuff? And that was like years between yeah. like, and it was the same thing. I never knew he was going to these jobs. It was just this guy's work that I liked. Um, and so I would do that all the time. And it was just, it's a way to promote, but without forcing yourself, like, look at my portfolio, look at this. Yeah. It's just, I respect what you do and I really like it. Here's something that hopefully you do too. And if you don't mind, there's going to be another one next year and the one after that, you know? And I think people do, especially when everything was like internet, everything. It was like internet portfolios. Here's an email with a link to my portfolio. Yeah. Here's this, you know, like huh. for people to then get something tangible in the mail that they could physical, hold in their physical hand. Physical email, yeah. yeah. You know, and physically like open it, put it down on the table, pick it up later. Somebody else walks in, sees it on their table, picks it up. It's not like forward this link to somebody, check this out, you know? Um, I think they saw that, wow, this guy put time into designing this whole book. This book's hundred pages long, you know, big. Yeah. He put time into that. There's a screen print with it. There's a handwritten note and he handwrote the address on the outside of this package, you know, stuff like that, where it's, there's more thought than a possible cut and paste email that you're sending to like 50 creative directors or artists. Um, and I think that's from the, like, I love the printed page and physical stuff like that. And I th it's just something I wanted to continue because I was like, oh, these, if these, if these are the peers that I like their work, it's for a reason. And I bet they like the same things, you know? So let me ask if someone would like to receive one of those physical zines, and I've been fortunate enough to receive those in my day, they're beautiful. Um, is someone allowed to write you and ask for one or can they purchase one or how do, how do we do this? Yeah, normally, yeah, I make a bunch. I'm pretty or is this that don't contact us, we'll contact no, you type it's, of thing? Um, yeah, normally, um, I have an online store, so normally it's like I print a bunch of them. I do set aside like probably half of them to package up and send to people, give to people. And then the other half, like I put on the store. Um, so the latest one I have them out of, and I never packaged it up fully because normally it's like, I think the new one is like 150 pages. It covers like three years, but it's... um. 
normally would come with like a screen print and stickers and like postcards. And I just hadn't had the time to get all that put together. So I'm hopefully going to get some new ones printed and have that ready to go in the next couple of months. Okay. Still the old one, the last one, but I don't think anybody's seen it unless I've actually physically given it to them Hmm. or mailed it to them um, for work or something like that. Hmm. Let's talk about how you evaluate partnerships or collaborations. Um, From my perspective, it sure looks like you're pretty in demand. And, you know, I would love to hear your thoughts on if you mostly are inclined to say yes and see where things go or just what some of your criteria or process is like in thinking about, do I want to work with this brand or person or company? Yeah, sometimes um, these days it's a lot easier to say yes and no. But of course, like back in the day, like any, you know, like fresh designer, illustrator, coming out of college or just, you know, beginning their career, it's, it's hard to say no to things because you want a paycheck because you're just trying to make your way and you're trying to build your portfolio. And so I've said yes to some things that at the time I needed the money, but then you look back and you regret. Um, but same thing. It's like, it was back in the day when I had no style in my work. So nobody would ever know it was me. <laughs> um, and then, but then like a couple of years ago, like there was like the possibility of like working with this big like silencer company that's known for their silencers as in guns yeah silencer yeah and because i had a friend that worked for them and he had some of my stuff hanging in his at his desk and he said people really liked it and and this is just me talking but i could not bring myself to want to like work with them and have my work kind of partnered with that area because most of my work anyway was in the outdoors it was kind of leaning into the outdoor industry anyway. And it was just like, I just didn't want, like, I don't think the general public really needs silencers. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, like, how do I make a t-shirt for a silencer company? You know, like, it's, I don't, it's a very strange request. And especially thinking about, I mean, I don't know if it necessarily, cause it was this bigger kind of company that's I think what they're known for, but it was a very like big time testosterone driven company doing crazy things. And it was just like, it just, I don't think, my work really fit with this company. Yeah. I probably would have been paid great, but it was just, yeah. it was more like, I'm just not. The idea that a silencer manufacturer would want like contemporary folk aesthetics for their marketing is rather, it's actually kind of amazing. Maybe that would have well, worked I, for I, me. I mean, I'd be like, I don't even own a gun, but never, I want that silencer. But we never like even got to that. It was a friend throwing it out there saying, Hey, yeah, you know, like they would, would love to possibly talk. And so we never even got past that. Cause I was like, I don't, I can't do it. I don't think so. So we never like, who knows what it would have been, you know, probably wouldn't even be nothing to do with that. Just some other, like we're having a corporate retreat, just make us, you know, like yeah. make something cool for that. Um, but then, and sometimes you have to say no, just cause timing isn't right. Yeah. Um, I recently worked with Yeti cycles and I think I still have the email from I think 2016, They'd contacted me to do a t-shirt design for like one of their um, gatherings and it was in like Nepal. Hmm. And at the time I was like, oh my God, this would be awesome. But like the turnaround, I just couldn't do it at the time because of some other projects. Um, so I was kind of bummed out for a while, but then, you know, just this past year. So what's that? Like six years later. Yeah. Um, 
I got an email again from Yeti being like, Hey, <laughs> can we work on a t-shirt? And I was like, Oh my God. It's like, I was just thinking about you. It's like, and then I dug up the old emails like, Hey Kyle, it's like you emailed me like, uh-huh. <laughs> um, so it's like, this is meant to be, let's mm-hmm. do this, you know? So just sometimes like you don't want to stretch yourself too thin because then you either stress and freak out or you don't turn out good end product. Or if you're working on five different jobs, all five jobs suffer, you know, or that one job incredibly suffers and you drop the ball and don't do it, which has happened to me too, you know? So it's just always trying to learn. Yeah. Curious. Let's say a company reaches out to you and you're like, I kind of think your brand aesthetics are terrible, you know, like south of mediocre. Is the brand saying that? No. The oh. bra- you, you, yeah, yeah. The brand like, reaches out. What do you say? Me? No, the you. They reach out. They're like, "Hey, John, we'd love to have you. You know, work on a a logo. You know, for us. Or you know, we have a special project or an event or whatever. And let's just say you're just you're the vibe you're getting is like, man, I'm looking at your website or I'm looking at your products. And they just seem pretty mediocre all around or worse than mediocre. Are you inclined to say no? Or do you tend to think or operate a bit more like, I I feel like I can really help them, really elevate them? Which is it? I mean, there's no just like one answer for that. It's if it's a small enough company that you... You can, you look at and you're like, oh, I really like what you're doing. Like, I believe in what you're doing. Um, like we could help each other. I can actually help you, you know, like kind of go to another level or level or something you can work with them. But other times it's, I have been approached by a lot of like, you know, like upstart apparel companies because there's like a million of them now, you know, that are like wanting designs, but then you see, you know, like across their board of like what they have out there now and just like what their company is about. It's just sometimes it's, you know, you just have to say no politely, mm-hmm. you know, find the way to say no, or you're busy or something like that. Or, or sometimes when you tell them like a price that kind of ends the conversation right there with them, just cause they're like, Oh, we can't, it's a lot more than we thought, you know? So it is just hard. And sometimes it's easy to say no, but other times it's like, like these people are trying, you know, they're trying to do something. Hopefully it's not like just clip our t-shirts that they're trying to pass off as like awesome outside stuff, you know? And so then you have to like, just be nice about it and just, Cause you don't want to burn any bridges because you never know. It's like they could turn amazing or that person could close that company down, but get a job with some other big company yeah. and be like, well, now's my time to get to work with that guy. You know? So it's like, just like in anything, it's like, you can't be a jerk about stuff. Um, I mean, it's easier when they just with Instagram these days with messages, you get contacted by people that are just very like short three sentences. Like your work's awesome. Let's work together. You know, and you're like <laughs> never going to respond. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. So if you're going to contact somebody, it's like, talk to like, make it a personal thing. But I think that's the same thing. It's like, that's where like, even as the artists are coming to, it's like, you also have to have to keep your ego in check a lot of times to, cause you never know where that person's going to go in the future. What's a typical work day like for you these days? A typical work day is basically in the studio by probably nine at the latest. It's a drop the kids off school go to the studio, which is a two minute drive awesome. from downtown. Awesome studio, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and then basically just hole up there for most of the day, unless there's a meeting or something like that, or in the winter, it's like can run out, go take a couple laps or, you know, summer fall, it's like go for a bike ride, come back to the studio 
And then normally it's out by like 3.30 or so, depending on the day, just same thing, doing the kids shuffle. Or if my wife is able to pick them up, it's like I can stay till like 5, 5.30, finish work. So there's a slight typical day, but then it fluctuates all the time. Just because it's like having to ski town life of having to juggle everything. Yep. Um, that juggling is not just family. It's like the fun stuff you want to do as well. Mixed into that work day. <laughs> you know, I feel like you're good at this. You, you tend to, you, you do get that fun stuff in. Yeah. Try to <laughs> pretty good. At, pretty good at it in the wintertime. Cause I feel like I'm the construction worker in the summer. Where I'm just trying to work as much as possible. <laughs> gotcha. So when winter comes, it's I work hard, but I don't feel that bad taking a, two full days off in the middle of the week or something. If I, if the snow's good, yeah. you know, do you tend to leave your work in the studio or do you tend to work at home? You know, some in the evenings after yeah. you've left the studio, what, what do you actually do these days? Having a studio outside of the house makes it so much easier yeah. to like leave it there. Yeah. Um, but there are still projects and days where it's like, come home, hang out with family. Um, and then once everybody goes to bed, jump back on the computer or work on a carving until like, you know, like 1230 or one sometimes, um, just cause it has to be done. Just most jobs. Sometimes you have to do that. But, uh, I try to just leave stuff at the studio. Um, when I had a office in my house, that was rough. <laughs> I mean, it was like what the only thing I could have. And I lucked it was lucky to have one, but it was so easy for me to like, me and my wife would be talking and then like, I was just like, look over my shoulder and there'd be like a project or a drawing mm -hmm. I'd been working on, like in the next room. And I would slink out in the middle of the conversation, you know, start working on it <laughs> and then just be like, okay, okay. I got to get out of here. You know? So it's nice to have that separation if, if you can, hmm. cause you know, I think your productivity actually skyrockets hmm. a lot of times if you can do that. Hmm. So related question, what would your dream work day look like? I think you've kind of touched on this, but let's hear you sum it up. Dream work day, mm -hmm. I think would be, I mean, I've, in my head, I think I've had it a couple of times where it's like, it's snowed a bunch, go to the mountain, ski half the day away, go into my office, finish working on some fun project and basically then just get home and chill out. Okay. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty good. I mean, but dream like work experience or something would be, which I got a finally a taste of it. Um, a couple of years ago where it was like, I got to become the uh, festival artist for the Banff mountain film festival. Yeah, yeah. And it was like the first time somebody's like, Hey, do you want to fly up to Banff and have an art show and come to this festival? Which I've always, I'd always gone to see it when it came through like Denver and mm -hmm. other places, but they're like, no, do you want, we'll fly you up, put you up, give you an art show, mm. um, on our dime. And you can come up here and like, I was like, I need more of this, <laughs> um, to be able to travel with art would be amazing. Huh. Like, or, you know, with work kind of in that aspect where like photographers, videographers, all the, like they get flown a lot of places and get to travel for their jobs. And while it's hard work, they're still getting to like see these cool places and do, you know, it's something they love to do and they're still getting to do it around the world. I'd love to somehow be able to go to like, the Alps and somehow do some work and have an art show or something like that. But maybe that's something too, I can kind of organize on my own as well. 
So we've now sort of transitioned this a bit into, I was thinking a little bit about like, I'd get to the studio at 9 a.m. By the way, you earn real Crested Butte points because you're like, <laughs> pow day. It starts with a pow day. My my dream work day has nothing to do with work. I'm skiing deep pow. I did say I finished the day by working on a fun project. <laughs> you did. <laughs> it's not how you started the work no. day. This is, I like this. Um, but now we're kind of, we've sort of evolved this into like, what's a kind of dream work scenario type of thing. So what I'm hearing is, being able to exhibit your work in cool places of the world or places you find cool, um, that would be part of it, huh? Yeah. And I think like the, it's easy to, if you look at my work to see like what the main theme is, it's the outdoors and travel nature, stuff like that. And so it'd be to, before it was always like when you're first starting art, you're like New York city, LA, San Francisco. I want to show in places like that. Um, which of course would be awesome. But a lot of it now would be, it'd be fun to have like a show in Japan and mix Mm. that with being able to go there for an activity like ski in Japan, have a show in a community that loves like with the themes of my work, you know, and mix kind of the two. Yeah. Same with like, like Italy or the Alps or something like that. Like finding a place in like Chamonix or some of those Mm. other towns that has this ski mountain culture but are, you know, you're used to seeing just like any ski towns, just like this certain type of artwork in a lot of those places. Um, so Wait, describe that. How do you define a certain type of artwork in ski in, towns? In most U.S. ski towns and even European ones that I've been to, it's like it's very much like it's good artwork, but it's much more geared to like it's landscape art geared towards tourists, second, third homeowner type people. Um that you know like our chalet or condo or house it's a mountain house so we have to have this landscape of this area (laughs) which and they're all like nicely done but it's just like after a while you're like okay you know another landscape that's great you know i'd like to have some in my house but but then for the younger set whether it's like the new ski bum the high school kid the young family like to be able to bring in a more contemporary artwork or something they haven't seen or they see in magazines would be like, would be fun because you would get a much more different vibe. And I think people would be stoked on it because it's something they don't normally see. You know, it's like you're used to seeing like art in mountain towns or like this one thing, you know, it's like fish landscapes, but to bring in some different representation of that, even if it's still like a landscape, but it's done completely different or in a different way. There was, um, I don't know. Do you remember the, uh, the seven sins line from Rosignol? Yeah, totally. Like, uh, there's a gallery in France called space junk and they had three or four different galleries in like Grenoble, um, a couple other like major kind of ski towns. And so I felt like they were almost a part of that. They were like hosting these amazing art shows of contemporary work by the people in seven sins who did those art, like Will Barris and, um, mm-hmm. Oh my God, I'm blanking on Kai. I think it's Kai Koopman. Um, and then Steve Caballero. Mm-hmm. And so it, their thing was they had these amazing art shows and then it would travel between their different galleries, bringing some amazing art to these different ski towns, ski cities and stuff like that. And it was just such a mind blowing thing in the day because you still don't see that now, you know, like um, I had some friends that for a while in Aspen were doing that bringing some amazing art in that was different to that town. 
but just like any ski town with crazy prices and stuff, it's like, you can only do that so long. Right. And then it's just back to like bringing in artists from LA and San Francisco. It's just all the same stuff. Yeah. You know, it's like, and I think there's a, probably not a art buying, like there's not a lot of people in towns like crusted or money in these towns for people buying that stuff. But these ski towns would like eat it up. Yep. You know, like I was a part of a group show out in, um, Tahoe city this past February in conjunction with this, um, project that all these artists were working on, but they flew us all in and let us have a one night art show in Tahoe city. Yeah. There's a whole group of artists. It was like Jeremy Collins, Jessica Gilbert, Bryn Merrill, um, and Lamont Joseph white out of park city. And it was just amazing. And it was just this one night pop-up and everybody contacted their friends to come mm-hmm. and everything like, and but the community came out and everybody's like, Oh my God, like how many nights is this up? Is this up for like the month? What's going on? Um, people were bummed that it was, it was a one night pop-up, but like people were loving it cause it was different art stuff that appealed to them. And I feel like there is this in all these ski towns. It's like, there's this like want and need for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's not art buying, but that's not always a, the point. I think, I think it's being able to expose people to this stuff. And so it would be fun to kind of travel and start doing that. Like whether in the States getting like ours together for group shows and then, or even just you know, planning a trip to go ski in the Alps and then contacting some people like, Hey, can we set up? Like hmm. I'll be there for a week. Can I bring some art over? Have a pop-up in your shop or something. Yeah. Maybe write it off as a business expense, you know, <laughs> But just a way to expand your own work and then just make it more than just, I'm coming here, I'm just doing this and leaving. It's like, you're adding something for yourself and for the community you're going to. Yeah. By the way, wheels have been turning while you've been talking. <laughs> I have a couple ideas. And just curious, have you been to Chamonix? Yes. Okay. I need to go back. Okay. That's what, there was a gallery there for a while that I think a couple of years ago, I was like packaging up like the whole package of stuff to mail to you to be like, hey, um, Cause it was a gallery showing like mountain artwork, but it was more contemporary based mountain artwork. I was like, I think my stuff could kind of fit in there, be different, but fit. Um, and of course they closed down like hmm. the week I was about to send it. <laughs> I have, I have some thoughts. We'll talk later. I like where you're going with this though. I think it's pretty interesting and I totally agree with what you're saying. Oh, um, I've just talked to you about something too. All right. So we have some things to follow up on here where I want to go now is I'm curious whether there are other categories or sort of verticals in this broad world of craft that you really geek out on. So where yeah. we, we mean outside of the world of like, right, working on, you know, printmaking and that yeah. kind of thing, right? What, what else are you kind of obsessed with in the broad category of craft? I think in the broad category of ca- craft, it's like there's a, I feel like there's a resurgence in the printed page, like with the folding and closing of so many like magazines in the past couple of years, it's amazing to see there's certain independent magazines that are still trying to hold on or new ones sprouting up are limiting, you know, limiting their ad space, um, really valuing long form articles, stuff like that. Not like, seems like some magazines are turning into like USA today of magazines where yep. it's like, a crazy like quarter page or half page quick write-ups of like, this is the best thing, how to survive this. You know, it's like, you're not even out there. You're probably just Googling, piecing things together. Um, 
and when you see like when i see those like i'm a sucker for print so like i end up paying a lot of mag money for those because they end up being like 15 to 20 dollars each mm -hmm. but in my head i think it's worth it to try to help keep them going and just to see people that actually care about something and i think that's where it comes back to the craft they're not just phoning it in every month just to do it it's like these people are putting their like hearts into every issue hoping they're going to be able to make that next issue yeah. you know hmm. i, I mean like if it. you i mean the u.s there's some in the u.s but um out of the uk there's one called the earnest journal earnest earnest yeah, yeah. and i think their main thing they talk about like slow adventure like taking the time to see what's around you while you're on these adventures hmm. you know it's not like we got on motorcycles for three days and like drove 1500 miles type you know it's more like going to like the bothies and the scottish highlands and stuff like that hmm. like if you're lucky to be in japan steuben magazine in japan is just amazing hmm. um it's a ski magazine it's a snow basically a snow magazine but the photography is amazing i bet the articles are amazing but i can't read japanese but uh if anybody's over there can you send me some copies <laughs> yeah if anybody's in japan heading back to the states we need some copies for, for but yeah but say, just... say the name again it's the earnest journal. journal the earnest journal and then the japanese publication is steuben steuben s-t-u-b-e-n yeah and they're just like beautiful magazines that like there's a lot of thought into them um the paper quality you know is nice it's not just the straight up glossy style of most u.s magazines that you find and it's like people that care about stuff and like when i see magazines like that or like like I'm a lover of zines or if somebody that's self-published like a little book, like I think that's my biggest straw is like when you're on Instagram and all of a sudden, like you see somebody like posting like a little book they've made. Some artists or photographers made their own book. It's like, I'm a sucker for buying those just because normally they're going to be really good. But also you're supporting somebody that's like trying to do something they love, you know? Last thing we're going to talk about. I'm very excited about this. Uh -oh. <laughs> we are launching with you our new blister artist series and so yeah. you and i have been talking about this for a while and the time has come so we are on this crafted podcast going to be talking with some of our favorite artists and we are going to be reaching out to them and seeing if they might be interested in putting a design together full full reign no restrictions no parameters um but doing some blister t-shirts some things like that and you are kind of kicking this off for us so my question to you is have you been thinking about this have you you've already agreed but <laughs> have you been thinking about this have you been you know, do you have a sense of direction or, or is this, is this too early? No, I, I have been thinking about it because I always feel like no matter what projects you're working on, it's good to think about other things at the same time or else you just kind of get stuck in a rut sometimes. Um, I think I have some direction. It's just how to take what I'm thinking and like making it different than everything I've done in the past. So it's just becomes like, maybe it's like a similar idea, but it's just, will stand out in its own way and look like fresh compared to past things. Huh? Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's exciting. It's going to be a coffee cup. <laughs> I love coffee. It's perfect. <laughs> just a literally plain coffee cup. I'll be like, this is my favorite piece <laughs> yeah. of art in the world. Because most of us can't survive in the morning without that. Right. Right. This, but okay. Well, 
you got me excited because you brought us back to coffee. <laughs> I was going to actually ask you, do you have a coffee maker in your studio? No. Do you bring coffee in? Do you go either, get coffee? Either, What's your... Either bring it from home. I used to have, or I still have um, just a water heater that then I'd make coffee at my studio. Or I'll run out and grab coffee. It's kind of all over the place. Okay. You're all over the place. Yeah. All right. Um, back to the Blister Artist series. Totally appropriate to, <laughs> to interrupt the introduction of the Blister Artist series with a quick segue down the coffee road. I feel like that's perfectly fine. Okay. So you've got some thoughts. We want something. We touched on this. We want mm -hmm. something consistent but fresh. Yes. Okay. And, uh, you know, I mean, you are on record right now. When are you thinking? When do we expect to have a design that we will be taking to the printer. We have not had this conversation, <laughs> no. ladies and gentlemen. So this is very real time. This what is right. Push the mic away and run out the door. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm hoping in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> next couple of weeks. All right. I mean, we're, I mean, we're easy around we're, here. We don't want to rush genius. You know, we don't, you know, we're easy, but I mean, we want to be near winter. Yeah. We need to be near winter. That's probably good. Yeah. Not too close, not too right. far. You want people like, oh, it's gonna be like a Christmas present for somebody. Oh, or holiday holiday gifts. Yeah. Right? Okay. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be ready for the holidays. It'd be I would like to imagine it'd be nice to have them like in your hand. The final thing in your hands at like November. Because then you're like Okay. I mean that with printing time and all that stuff. I don't, hopefully that's okay. <laughs> that's fine. No, I mean, I, this is, you know, it's the artist series. The artists are driving this ship. Um, do you think we should do like, if we're doing this design on a t-shirt, is it going to be a single color t-shirt? Do you think we should do it in multiple colors of a t-shirt? What you, you tell us. I think you could do, you could choose a few colors just that could appeal to different people. Okay. Cause I mean, you could always do like blacks, the standard for okay. like a lot of people. I'm a sucker for navy blue, but um, you've done that recently. I'm also a sucker <laughs> for like a, like a baby blue. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, not many people like that, but sometimes it looks pretty good. But then I think it depends on the design. Yeah, depends. You know, if it's like wintery, it's like it's hard to go with like an olive green or something, <laughs> you know. All right. But maybe, I don't know. We'll have to see. I think you're I right. Think we need the design see. first. Yeah. Once we have a design, then we'll um, go from there. Yeah, I mean, I picture like, one, maybe two colors, because that way it will translate easily to multiple shirts if needed. Yeah. Um, and then also it's like, I don't know, I'm just not a fan of a lot of colors. <laughs> you mostly dis you dislike most colors. <clears throat> I like black and white or like one, two colors. You know, it's like after a while, like then it becomes like too screaming in your face. Like, look at all these colors. Uh -huh. That's just for my work and my sensibility. I just wondered if you're like, you know, what's the worst yellow I hate yellow so much. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just once you add too many colors to my work, it looks too cartoony. It like kind of gotcha. starts taking yeah. away from it. Okay. So you don't hate colors in general. You are not a huge fan of many colors in your own work. Yeah. I'm not a fan of a lot of color in my work. Gotcha. All right. So that's the worst when you hand a project off to a company with the idea in your head of what the color is going to be. And then you see the final printed piece and you're like, oh my God, like... What are you doing? Yeah. To, and for some reason to them, it looks good, which it's hard to believe it looked good to them. <laughs> and then I got to a point where I'd have to ask clients. I'm like, I need to like write up, like a, be able to sign off on some colors. 
just because it's like it's a really bad representation of my work and yeah. it's like like if that design doesn't sell in your head you're thinking it's a reflection of my work but in my head it's a reflection of like your poor taste how you yeah like produced it you know yeah. so it's like let's both get on the same page and make the best thing we can i like it hey man it's always really fun really i i appreciate your friendship and i appreciate your art and uh i appreciate that when asked to define your dream work day it started with talking about <laughs> skiing pow and not actually working these are all things i like about you and um uh really just happy to have you kind of in this blister universe of ours and and um and excited about this collaboration and you know i'm i'm really excited to see what comes of this i mean we we are fortunate we we know a lot of people artists that we really like and, and respect their work and um i think we're gonna be able to do a very cool series and yeah. um see what kind of comes and uh so yeah folks apparently before the holiday season uh you <laughs> might have the opportunity um to get your hands on a john fellows original brought or, to you by on if that's or on, yeah. <laughs> what you're into yeah. or tattoo <laughs> um yeah so hey man um well thanks for having me yeah it was fun yeah we're Hope gonna keep babble too much no <laughs> no it was exactly the right amount of babbling and uh <laughs> great to share a beer with you and have you back in hq so we'll yeah we'll keep this going well thanks last thing i'll say or ask your preferred place for people to find you connect with you see the work um preferred place is if you're actually in crested butte you can stop by my studio it's got a little gallery and studio you can come see where i work and everything and it's just downtown crested butte 418 bellevue ave right next to romp skis um so it's always fun to see stuff in person yeah but if you can't make it to crested butte um you can either check me out on instagram which is at jfellows56 I know it's weird, but it's like the first email address I got like way back in the day. For some reason, it stuck with me. Or I have an online shop and it's johnfellows.bigcartel.com. johnfellows.bigcartel.com. I like it. Um, well, fortunately, I get to see you in person and your work. So, um, but yeah, people should 100% take John up on that offer to stop by the studio and uh, see it in person for yourself. So, Anyway, hey, thanks again, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well, that's it for this edition of Crafted. I want to say thanks to John for the conversation. And again, you can go to johnfellows.bigcartel.com to check out John's work and order some of that work. And then hopefully sometime in November, You'll be able to check out John's work in the first of our Blister Artist series. Furthermore, I also want to say thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And if you are enjoying these initial conversations on Crafted, then it would mean a whole lot to me if you would take just a minute to leave us a rating or review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and share some of these episodes with some of your friends who like cool things and conversations with very cool people. So anyway, thank you in advance for supporting the show by leaving us those ratings and reviews. And we promise 
We are going to keep the good episodes coming. I'm going to hold this one to myself, but we've got another conversation that I am very excited about coming next Wednesday. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Take good care. We'll talk to you soon.